0: We are getting into week two of our of our series, we've entitled "Adventually," and um, you know Advent is the classical time period leading up to, to Christmas, and, and so um, we we started it a little sooner than normal, uh, we, with Thanksgiving um, still just now being this week, uh, but uh, it's this this picture of we're we're, we're getting there. And so, as maybe you, you noticed that we had a little bit of decor up last week, and we have a little bit more uh, this week, and we've got a whole bunch more ready to go up. But uh, we're going to get to that eventually, okay? And, uh, and it's going to continue to move forward towards this, this full picture of, of Christmas. And likewise, in our series that we're going through here, Chris laid the groundwork for the series in his message last week on the Messiah— and so if you didn't listen to that, that's one of my, the, really the foundational portraits of of looking forward to Jesus coming in the Bible is, is the Messiah and who, who he was going to be. And so I'd encourage you, if you, didn't, if you weren't here last week or didn't catch it online, um, I'd encourage you to catch that. Um, it's on our church website. But um, as we walk through this, we're going to be looking at these different pictures of, of what it means that Christ is coming and what it means that Christ has, has come. And this week... We, we take a look at what this Messiah would accomplish. Namely, atonement. Now, atonement is probably not a word you used this week. Uh, unless you're reading something in the Bible and telling someone about it. It's not a word that we use all the time in our common language. And so, to illustrate it, I, I want to illustrate it with a story of three great warriors. You probably are familiar with them. Their names are Rock, Paper, and scissors. Okay, so rock, paper, and scissors. After a long day of battle, they are tired, and they are hungry, and when you are both tired and hungry, what do you do other than go out to eat, right? So that's that's what you do when you're tired, and you're hungry. So they go to a restaurant, and they, they get their meals, and they enjoy them thoroughly, and at the end of the meal, it's time to pay, and rock, rock forgot his wallet. Rock doesn't have any money with him. So he, he looks at Scissors desperately, and Scissors says, Sorry, man, there's, there's nothing I can do. And so Scissors and Rock, of course, then turn to, turn to their, their friend, Paper. And Paper sighs and says, Yes, I'll do it again. You know I always cover Rock. <laughs> okay? <laughs> I know. That probably, as much as anything, illustrates that I've eaten too much Laffy Taffy since Halloween, but um, it also illustrates um, and... Um, Probably uh, um, Amber can attest to that from the trash can in my office. Uh, but either way, it also illustrates what we mean at the most basic level of what atonement is. This word um, in, in the Hebrew, it's kafar. Okay, that's uh, kind of like Jafar from uh, Aladdin, but, but it's kafar. And it literally, just, it means to cover. So the, the first um, instance of this that we have is, is in the story of Noah. Noah is told to, to cover the ark with pitch. Or if you want to get um, kind of both worlds here. It's, it's k- kafar, this ark with kafar, the noun form of it, of course. But to cover it with covering. <laughs> cover the ark with covering. It, it literally just means to, to cover. Also, in the, in the story of, of the manna in the wilderness, it's, it's all over the ground, and it, most, many of our translations will say it, it was like frost or dew. Okay, and um, it, it was a covering on the ground. That word that we translate as frost in that is, is kafar. It's this, this covering on the ground. Now this uh, very quickly gets gets picked up as religious a religious technical term when we get into the law and all that. So very early on, it gets used more specifically for atonement. It gets more specifically used for sin and uncleanness being covered. But we, we use it in these same sort of ways, right? Um, if you... If you end up being quarantined, someone has to cover for you, right? Or if um, someone else has been quarantined, maybe you in these uh, past months have had to cover for someone else. In the case of Rock, forgetting his wallet, paper, covered for him. When we get rear-ended by another driver, we hope that they have coverage. When a storm rips off part of your roof, you hope that, uh, that your insurance policy covers whatever damage was made. Similarly, we find ourselves in a sin predicament. We need a particular kind of coverage. And atonement, in, this, in the technical sense here, is this kind of covering. As uh, we have been going through this Core 52 reading, if, if you haven't been keeping up with that, I would encourage you to jump back in. It always adds uh, a neat angle into, into these different topics that we cover. Uh, it's usually something uh, a little bit different than how um, Chris or I or Tyler, whoever happens to be speaking, uh, will cover it, cover it uh, a little bit differently than the Core 52 reading most of the time. And so I'd encourage you to continue uh, reading in that. If you put it down, pick it back up and get back into it. Uh, if you haven't yet, we have more books available if you need one. Uh, but in the reading this week, he points out that the issue is not simply an individual one, but it is an us issue. We need to be covered it's not just me personally, but it's it's us collectively. So even though in, in terms that we're going to talk about today, it's going to be mostly um, in in individual sort of a context. These things also extend beyond that. So our need for covering is not just individual, but it is it is corporate. Now, uh, before we get too much further, I, I want to tell you that I have one kind of uh, ulterior motive, you might say, for for wanting to um, preach this sermon. And that is this. As, as the worship minister, uh, worship is something that matters a lot to me, and I desire for you to grow in worship. And so um, if, if you're the kind of person that kind of stands there with your arms crossed and scowls at me, um, I won't point any fingers, but you know who you are. Okay? Uh, if, you're, if that's how you um, engage during our time of, of worship through song, I would love it if... Um, you would just take that next step of maybe stop scowling at me and maybe unfold your arms. Uh, That would would be nice, but maybe just stop scowling at me would be a good good start. Uh, And then maybe if you've stopped scowling, maybe you start actually singing. Uh, Maybe if you've started kind of mumbling along, maybe um, start actually singing notes. Whatever growth area, uh, I would love to see you grow in worship. And I want each week as we gather for you to just catch even just a glimpse of God's glory. I think that is what moves us along in our, in our worship. And I have heard it said um, in a book by Matt Papa, he refers to the cross of Jesus as the blazing center of God's glory. And when we sing, many, many of the, the things we're going to talk about today, these atonement themes, these are the themes of many of the songs that we sing. Okay, these are the things that come up. Old song, new song, anywhere in between. These are the themes that we sing about. The atonement is the anthem of the church. I'll give you some examples of some of them probably uh, as we go. Um, but my, my other motive here is just simply that that you would become more aware of the depth of the words that we proclaim together each week. That there would be an awareness as we sing these things. That um, That when we say things like, Oh, Christ died for me, or Christ died for you. Well, that's nice, but what does that even mean? And that's what we're going to look at today. Um, one other piece of groundwork to be laid. Before we get to the meat of what we're looking at today is um, is this idea of what do we even call these things? Are they are they theories? A lot of times in academic circles, they get called theories. Um, sometimes they're just called metaphors. Um, I even like the term pictures. Um, what is it exactly that that we're working with here. Well, theories, I don't love the term theories, partly because it just it sounds kind of cold and like a textbook kind of a thing. But one of the reasons I don't necessarily love the term theory is that in my mind, it seems exclusive. Okay, so um, if, if Heather and I were to walk into the kitchen and there is a, a cookie jar broken on the floor, I don't even think we have a cookie jar, but if there was one, okay, and it was broken on the floor... I might have the theory that one of our kids threw a ball and knocked it over, and um, it, that's how it broke. She may have a theory that someone was trying to reach into the cookie jar to get a cookie and wasn't quite tall enough to reach and tip the cookie jar and broke it. Now one of those might be true. <laughs> Neither of them might be true. But one of those could be true, but n- both of them are not going to be true. They're exclusive. But uh, the things that we're going to look at today, they're not exclusive. They are, they're all pieces of what Christ has done for us. And so I, I may say theories, but uh, metaphors or pictures, that's kind of what we're dealing with here. Of these portraits of what has Christ accomplished for us. And the big picture thing that I want you to see today is that the finished work of Christ covers everything. That's the, that's the big picture thing that I want you to see today, is that the finished work of Christ covers Everything. Now, um, Scott McKnight has a book on atonement that he uses um, the, the metaphor of a, of a golf bag, okay? And that's what that's what this is doing here, right? So um, with the golf bag, there, there are lots of different clubs, and, uh, you know, this is the one I'm, I'm most familiar with here, is, uh, is this one right here. I'm most familiar with it when it is, like, you know, green or blue or red, and it corresponds to the color of my ball. And I might have to hit through a windmill, or maybe an alligator, or something. Um, That—that's the golfing that I am most familiar with. Okay. Um, so this this club right here, the putter, this is the one that I I know the best. And so if I were to go out to the Elden Country Club, I might uh, get ready to tee off, and I pull out my putter here. Woo. Okay. So uh, other than getting laughed off the golf course, okay, uh, for looking like a noob, because I would be, that would be ridiculous. Um, but other than that. It would just be a bad idea, because it's going to take you an eternity to get through one hole, let alone 9 or 18, okay? It's going to take you a long time to get through a course if you're only using, if you're only using your putter. Likewise, you're going to have maybe some trouble with, uh, with getting the ball into the hole with your short game if all you had was a driver. You'd get it a long ways, but you might have a little more trouble with your short game actually getting it into the hole itself. Each club has a different purpose. And in our um, atonement golf bag, each of these, each of these portraits gives us a describes a different purpose for the accomplishments of Christ's work on the cross. Each club has a different use in, in a description of what it is that Christ has done. None of them is all encompassing. You don't use just one club to golf with, or at least it isn't advice. Um, but instead, we we need all of these portraits to have a fuller picture of what it is, uh, what it is that Christ has accomplished. Just like in golf, you need the whole the whole bag of clubs here if you want to be successful in golfing, or if you at least want to want to have a chance. Some of us probably wouldn't be very successful regardless, but that's a whole other issue. Um, so the the thing is too is that um, there are different situations where different uh, pictures are. Are useful just like um, the clubs are used for different situations. Um, likewise, with these, with these pictures we're going to look at today, they're, they're not all used at the same time, and some you may use in different situations. For example, if a person um, has the idea that, well, I've not done anything wrong. I am, I'm a good person. I've not done anything wrong. Perhaps starting with a legal metaphor, uh, maybe start trying to use that as your driver may not be the best idea. When we try to tell someone about the, the goodness of our God and what Christ has accomplished for us, um, you, need to, you need to find one that fits. You need to find one that is going to be the most useful for the situation. Now, the poor reception of a particular metaphor doesn't mean you don't use it at all. Okay? It just means you may not tee off with it. So uh, as, we, as we walk through this, everything is going to fall under this umbrella of the finished work of Christ covers everything. But we're going to look at this in three directions, okay? So the first direction is outward, okay? We're going to be looking at the problems that are solved outside of me. Uh, we're going to look at the, the inward. We're going to look at the issues that Christ is solving within me, and then we're going to go upward, and we're going to look at the problems that are solved between uh, upward in heaven. And so the first one is outward. Okay, so this, this first issue that we have is, is outward, because there are forces outside of us that are, that are against us. So the first thing we see is that Jesus pays our ransom. Okay, this is something that is uh, a scriptural portrait of what Christ has accomplished. Jesus himself says that the Son of Man came not to serve, or not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus' own uh, self-proclaimed mission statement, that what he came to do is to give his life as a ransom for many. To make a payment, to buy us, to buy us back. This is directly connected to this word for redemption. It's It's a commerce metaphor. It's a payment metaphor. Uh, for, for that particular time and culture, it was probably a, um, more of uh, purchasing a person out of slavery. Okay, that would be the connection with the Exodus. right? The, the main thing that gets said about the Exodus is that we have been redeemed. God has redeemed us out of Egypt. It's this redemption picture. That God ransomed them out of Egypt, and likewise we are, we are bought back. We've been bought with a price. We are not our own. And so Jesus pays for us. This is actually the one that, uh, if, you've, if you've read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe lately, uh, we, we just read it uh, recently, not connected with this, but um, the, the ransom theory is the one that gets put forward in that, in that book, or movie, if you, if you watch the movie instead. No criticism here. Uh, but if you, if you look at it, that's, that's what Aslan does. He, he pays the price that Edmund owed. He buys him back from the white witch. Now, I will say, um, in, in all these metaphors, so in all these pictures that we're going to cover today, um, well, we know this. If you push a metaphor too far, things get real weird. Uh, if you try to push a metaphor all the way to its logical conclusion, uh, things can start getting weird. So if we're talking about this ransom theory, uh, if you keep pushing it, keep pushing it, you can almost end up with this dualistic yin and yang, uh, good and evil are equal, and that there's this battle between them because, you know, good and evil are... E- no, come on. You know what happens when, it's, when you turn a light on in a dark room? The darkness is gone. Light wins. There's no... There's no equal power struggle here, okay? God wins. And that actually leads us to our, our second one here, and that's that Jesus wins our victory. Okay, there was a, there's a battle to be won, and Jesus wins it. This one is, um, is entitled Christus Victor, is the fancy term for it. Uh, if you want to be able to study more of these, all, I'll give you the fancy terms. Uh, but at the end of the day, Jesus wins the victory. Christ is our conqueror. In fact, even this idea of the good news or the gospel in the first century context, if someone hears the word euangelion, which is the, the Greek word for gospel or good news, what that means is, hey, there's a new king in town. A new kingdom's here. That, that's the connotation of this word. Jesus comes in and he, he brings a new kingdom to town. And the powers that be murdered him for that. They murdered him. They tried, they used their their greatest strength, their greatest power to try to overcome Jesus. And as the book of Colossians says, he disarmed the rulers and authorities. Because he he died, but he didn't stay dead. This one's probably, uh, if if I had to pick a favorite one, this one's probably my favorite one in part because I have been involved with sports pretty much my entire life and um, man, winning feels good. <laughs> it just does. It does. And um, even to be on a team that, that wins, even when you don't perform well, is still, is still exciting. Jesus wins the victory that we had no chance in. Okay, we, uh, Jesus is the David that goes against the Goliath. We are the, Isra- the scared Israelites on the hill. Jesus is the victor. He wins the battle. He wins the war. He takes care of of the powers outside of us that would be against us. Christ is our conqueror. But if we only take care of the outward problems, we have, um, we still have some problems, right? Because I haven't dealt with the fact that I personally am sinful. Okay, and what that means for my own holiness, personally, or the fact that I have offended a holy God, that those two things aren't Um, aren't dealt with yet, if we only had the outward. But there is one that that is both outward and inward, okay? And uh, the the fancy title for it is uh, recapitulation, okay? But basically what it means is that Jesus lives the truly human life, okay? Jesus lives the truly human life. Now, outwardly speaking, what that means, okay, is that Christ, as the new Adam, he repeats the life and work of the first Adam, but instead of, of disobedience and failure, Christ lives that obedient life that Adam and, that Adam was supposed to have carried out. So instead of sin and disobedience, Jesus lives out righteousness and obedience to the Father. Now that's the outward side of it, but, um, but the inward side of this living the truly human life is, is this reality that um, it's not just Adam. Who lived in sin and disobedience? It, it's me. It's it's you. But Jesus, Jesus lives out the the righteousness, the love, the obedience. He lives that out on our on our behalf. That there is that he he lives the truly human life for us. So now the the next direction is is inward. Okay, so when we look at this this inward difficulty here, uh, the, first, the first one that we get to is, uh, usually it's called moral influence, but basically Jesus shows us how to live. Jesus shows us the right way to live so that moving forward we can, we can do the right things instead of the wrong things. No one has perfect examples, uh, perfect human examples of, of how to live, right? I, I think when we had our first kid, um, uh, I can't remember if I read it or if someone said it to me or just what. But basically, they just pointed out that, like, um, you're going to screw your kid up somehow. It's just a matter of how. Like, everybody has issues that they've gotten passed along by their parents in various forms and to various degrees. Okay, we're all just a whole bunch of different kinds of broken. And um, you're going to really mess up your kid somehow. And, like, that was was simultaneously really... um, encouraging and discouraging because it's like, oh, like everybody messes up their kids. But at the same time, it's like, I'm going to mess up my kids. And that reality is, is that we don't have any earthly examples that are perfect. We don't have any earthly examples that are perfect, but Jesus. Jesus shows us the way to live in, in love, in, in obedience. Jesus Jesus shows us this, this path forward for how we can honor God, all the way to the point of, of death. Because when we talk about Jesus modeling real, true love, he himself said, greater love has no man than this. Then one would lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus did that. God demonstrated his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But then... Jesus goes on and tells his disciples, Oh, hey, you know how I've loved you, now you love one another. That's a tall order. Husbands are called to love their wives as Christ loved the church. That's that's a tall order. There's a high call for us. Jesus tells his disciples to take up your cross and follow me. That the call of the Christian is to, to come and die. It's the picture of baptism, right? That you, you go under the water, into this watery grave, and you die. The old person is, is to die. That person's dead. And then you rise to walk in newness of life. Whose life? Is it my life? No, I walk in the life of Christ. That's, that's the portrait there. There's this, there's this living Christ's life now instead of my own. That I die to myself. And if necessary, I die for others. That there's this way that Jesus shows me how to live in true love and godliness. But not only that, our inward issues are solved as Jesus cleanses me. The, the New Testament would call, uh, uh, call Christians, uh, we, are the, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So if you want to go back to the Old Testament, okay, there's this Day of Atonement, okay, Yom Kippur. Okay, Jews still celebrate it. It's one. Of, it's like their holiest day of the year. Okay, and on that day, there's these two goats. One of them, okay, one of them, the um, the high priest um, pronounces the sins of all the people onto this goat, and they send it out into the wilderness. Okay, that's going to be more like our next issues here. But the the first goat is called for the Lord. That goat gets slaughtered on the altar, and they take its blood into the most holy place, The place they can go only one time a year. And they sprinkle its blood on the mercy seat, basically the top of the um, the Ark of the Covenant. And that cleanses the temple so that God's presence can stay with them. It cleanses this space so that God can stay with them. And likewise, Jesus, through Jesus' blood, we are purified so that God may live within us, so that we may continue to be a temple where God lives. Jesus cleanses me. But the issue is, is that even with our, with how amazing that is, with our inward issues, um, if we only had that, our, our outward issues would not be dealt with, Right? We'd still be um, pressed from every side, as, as Paul would say. If we only had our inward issues solved, uh, that's nice that I can be cleansed, but at the end of the day, there is still a price to be paid for what I've done before. There's still something that needs to be done with that, and that's where we get to our last direction, which is, which is upward. So we get to this upward direction and um, the, the first thing that we see here is, um, is this idea of satisfaction, that Jesus pays the price that I owe. Uh, sometimes you'll hear the word, oh, propitiation, okay, if you, um, uh, if you use like the NIV or some others, it might just say atoning sacrifice, but it's, it's, this, it's this word that basically means we, we owe a debt and Jesus, Jesus pays it. Jesus satisfies the wrath of God is kind of the, the picture in the word propitiation, Jesus pays in full what we owe to God. And this is connected very strongly with the next one, which is uh, called penal substitution, okay, which sounds really fancy and weird, uh, but at the end of the day, it's really not that hard to understand because uh, penal, like a penalty, you know, I, I don't know if anybody watched a football game yesterday, but if you did, um, you probably, um, you probably saw someone Throw a yellow flag, and one team either moved forward or backward um, five yards, right, or ten, or fifteen, or whatever the case may be. So it's a penalty, right? There, there's a penalty. Someone does something that is against the rules. Someone, someone does something illegal, and so there is a there is a penalty. There's a punishment to be had for the offending player and or team. And and. The other side of this, uh, penal substitution. Okay, again with sports, you sub in and out, right? Um, in football, if one player is not playing well, they might sub in a different player, or basketball, or any number of sports. Okay, if a player is not playing well, you, you sub somebody else. You sub somebody else in. Um, and, and so there's this there's this substitution. Except instead of subbing in to play, in this particular metaphor, he subs in to take take on the the penalty. That what we have. What we owe now, that he takes that penalty. He takes care of that. And he pays that, that price. He deals with our, our issues upward. That he pays the price I owe and he substitutes for my punishment. That, there are these, that there's this issue that, that God is holy and God is just. And so the justice of God needs to be, needs to be met, and Jesus steps in to that. Again, I, I think metaphors can get taken too far. Um, I think if you take this one too far, you can end up with some sort of weird uh, divine child abuse kind of thing, and it can get real weird real fast. Um, but not if you don't press it too far, it's a beautiful picture of Jesus stepping in, in our place, and uh, in a very real sense, um, while maybe the moral influence was Jesus died so I can so I need to die too. Um, this one would be more of Jesus died so i don 't have to. This is where we kind of get let off the hook in a very um, a very legal sort of sense and so in all these outward, inward, and upward, um, Jesus, the, the finished work of Christ covers everything, not just some things but but everything. There is one more that I want to kind of touch on here, and um, the guy who, uh, who brought us the golf bag metaphor, um, Scott McKnight, he would, he would kind of put this forward as the idea that is the golf bag, okay? Rather than being a club, this will be the golf, the golf bag. Jesus identifies with everything it means to be human, okay? And really, this is why what we celebrate at Christmas is such a big deal. This is God becoming man. This is Jesus making himself human. He identifies with everything it means to be human, and he identifies with us in a way that then allows us to be incorporated into his true, godly life. And so McKnight would, would argue that this, is, that this is what the golf bag is. Okay? And so you, you look at even um, the recapitulation one, that Jesus became what we are, so that we could become what he is. Right? Jesus lives that perfect life okay, so that we could then become um, like him. Or um, you may have heard this before. I, I, this certainly isn't original with me. But uh, that the son of God became human so that humans could become sons of God. Okay, if, you, if you've never heard that before, that's worth writing down. Okay, that's one of those things I heard a long time ago and I don't know where, but it stuck with me. That the son of God became human so that humans could become sons or daughters of God. So that that uh, would be that recapitulation side of things. But with our, our ransom and Christus Victor, with our outward with our outward issues, Jesus identified with us all the way down to the point of being killed, and his powerful resurrection breaks the chains of our captivity. And when we become in Christ, we are incorporated into his victory. He fights the battle; we get to claim the victory. That Jesus identifies with us, so we can be incorporated into his victory. McKnight calls this uh, identification for incorporation, by the way, and that's his fancy term or whatever. Mostly, I have these I wouldn't remember if I didn't have them in front of me, so I don't blame you if you don't remember these, okay? But um, he ident- Jesus identifies with us so that we can be incorporated into his life, into his victory. Uh, the moral influence, our, our inward issues. Jesus identified with us by living a truly human life of perfect love and submission that we are now able to identify back with him. That is, to incorporate his way of life. And finally, with our, with our upward issues, the penal substitution, that Jesus identified with our sinful mess, I mean, 2 Corinthians probably puts it the best, that he became sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The finished work of Christ covers everything. So um, where does it land? Though? Where does this land? This is all, I don't know, good information, I guess. You might, I hope you think it's good information. Okay, this is... Nice to know, but what does it mean? What, where does it land? What is that, what difference does it make, right? Well, hopefully, um, hopefully this lands wherever it needs to. If you ever looked to, uh, to book flights, uh, you might have realized that if you take one of the cheapo airlines, okay, you have certain days that you can fly out of certain airports, and you have certain days that you can fly into certain airports, and so you might only have one or two days a week to get from your destination to the destination you want to go, and chances are the time that you have to get on the airplane is very inconvenient. Okay, so um, if you if you travel much, you, you know that if you take one of the cheapo ones, you, you kind of get what you pay for in that regard. That it's it's not as convenient. It doesn't always get you where you want to go when you want to get there. But if you if you pay a little more, okay, a lot more in some cases, if you pay more money, then you get one of the bigger airlines, and you can kind of, you can land where you need to land at a time that's probably going to be much more convenient for your schedule. Well, the finished work of Christ covers everything. It, it can land just anywhere. It can land wherever it needs to, anywhere and everywhere. And so maybe, uh, maybe your issues are, are outward, right? Maybe you're feeling pressed from every side, Maybe the world around you feels, feels dark and oppressive and hard. Perhaps the, the climate of our culture is weighing heavily on you. Know that Christ has freed us from slavery to that system. He has overcome the one real power that those, that those rulers have. Death. Death. He has overcome that one power, the one thing that that made Rome so powerful and such a a giant death. The peace of Rome, the Pax Romana, was, was all because they held the power of the sword. And Jesus, Jesus took on their most gruesome sword Their most most gruesome death. And then he rose again. He came out on the other side of it. The rulers, the authorities, the powers had no power over Jesus. So perhaps today, you need to realize, you need to recognize Christ's victory and realize that that's your victory if you are in Christ. And recognize that through his blood, we too overcome as the book of Revelation says, that, that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Uh, maybe today, though, uh, maybe, maybe you, your issues are more inward. Maybe, maybe your life is a disaster of your own making. That you look at your life and you say, man, the things that are wrong in my life are because I haven't lived right. I, I do believe that this is part of what it means that um, we are the idea of us being saved even here and now, that it's not just someday we get to um, fly off to heaven or whatever, but that we are even saved here and now, that in living the life that Christ offers us, we spare ourselves from much trouble. And so maybe your life has not been patterned that way. Maybe the way that you treat others has has driven them away from you, and perhaps perhaps you need to... um, Follow his moral influence. Perhaps you need to accept that if you are in Christ, you've been cleansed. Sometimes that can be a really hard thing to accept about yourself. That you have been cleansed. You don't have to follow those patterns. And if you look to Christ, you look to someone who has lived this life right. And you've been cleansed by him. Uh, But perhaps, maybe, you... Your issues are upward. Maybe you see the holiness and greatness of God and also recognize how dreadfully you fall short. Let me tell you this comforting thing. Um, yeah, you do. You fall dreadfully short. <laughs> and, uh, and so do I. We all do. As Paul says in Romans, all, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I would even say that we continually fall short of the glory of God, that glorious standard. So maybe you, you see that glorious standard, that holiness and greatness of God, and, and you recognize that you fall short, but remember today that he has taken the penalty for your sin. He has, he has subbed in in order to take, take that penalty upon himself. He has paid the price of what you owe to God. And maybe that is what you need to cling to today. Truly, as, as followers of Jesus, we need to cling to all of those things. But even so, if there is something that I missed, and, and there is, okay? Um, there's a lot of things I didn't say today because I didn't have time to say them, okay? Um, and there is a lot to this topic. This has been a conversation um, since the beginning of the church, in the first century. Okay? This has been a conversation amongst Christians of what exactly did Jesus accomplish for us? And I am here to tell you that the finished work of Christ covers everything. And so even if there's something that I didn't mention today, and you're thinking, well, he didn't mention this. Does Christ cover this? The answer is yes. Christ covers it. And I think I may even be so bold to say that um, with one, maybe one exception, that if you are uh, flagrantly sinning just to throw it in God's face maybe not. That might be the one exception, although even at that, I, I tend to think that if one is repentant from that, then I think there's still, there's still atonement to be made. Because the finished work of Christ covers everything. So whether your issues are outward, inward, or upward, or something else that I didn't, that I didn't cover today, I want you to take with you this reality that the finished work of christ covers everything let's pray father we thank you that in in jesus all is all is taken care of that in him we don't have to worry about about the payment for our sin we don't have to worry about the lack of holiness within us and we don't have to worry about the powers around us but that through the work of Jesus we are loved and we are set free Father I pray today that that you would just empower us to live a life that reflects these truths that you would help us to live a life that, that honors you and live a life that speaks this love to others we love you God it's in Jesus name that we pray Amen.